Hello, and welcome to Doing Diversity in Writing, the podcast where we, as writers, explore the do's and don'ts of writing inclusively, whether that be in terms of race, gender, ethnicity, class, sexuality, ability, and so on. Why are we here? To bring more depth and breadth to the characters in our fiction and represent them in the best way possible. My name is Bethany Ann Tucker, and with me is my co-host, Marielle S. Smith. Let's get started. Hey, Marielle, how are you doing this week? Hey, Bethany. I'm I'm not feeling great health-wise. I'm I've been feeling a bit under the weather, but I um, started beta reading a novel by one of my favorite authors at the moment. She actually asked me to be on her beta read team uh, because I've been so excited about her work. And it just really reminded me um, in relation to the podcast, it, it, it's such a great example for me how you can do diversity in a very subtle and very let's not make a big deal about this way. It's like all her characters look different and she's she's quite subtle about it, but it's it's uh, it's a pirate book. So they uh, um, so they travel, of course, and it's like fantasy. It's like fantasy romance. Um, but you know, just from the descriptions, okay, so this is more like, like African coast, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just the way she does it. Like it's not, it's the... the the diversity is not a big it's there but it's not a big deal they also a really good setup for it I think you would love it and it's also so that the main characters um so it is it it is a um a straight ship Uh, the the main character the two the two pov characters one is a woman one is a man Okay, I'm just going to say you said straight ship and I was like, aren't most ships built in a straight okay. line? <laughs> I meant in a relationship, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their ships are st- their ships are straight. It's a pirate uh, book. If you say ship. Yes, I just realized that. Uh there's they're on the ship a lot. Um but so so even though the main relationship, the main ship is is straight, there's so many casual references to the crew members, men and women that that they've hooked up with. I'm not sure about this male main character, but I know she has another series as well that the worlds kind of touch upon each other, but mm-hmm. it's set on the mainland. And there the main characters are very casual about the fact that, yeah, their previous lovers were both men and women. And it's like, it's just those little, it's like in there, but there's like nobody lingers on it. It's just completely normal. And it's such, it's so nice to read. Oh, that sounds really nice. Yeah. So I really, I was like rushing to get to this recording because I'm like, they're they're like in the middle of a fight right now with other pirates. Oh, and and I I dragged you out of that. I was looking at the clock and I was like, ah, but it's good. Yeah, so she's one of my favorite authors right now, and I love how she does this really subtle um, diversity. And at this yeah. point, you and I are just being a big tease to our audience. Oh, yes. <laughs> so this author, who personally asked me to be on her uh, beta team, because she, I always rave about her stuff, her name's Claire Sager, S-A-G-E-R, 
and she so she has two series going on she's both publishing so they're not finished uh she has two books out in each series and i'm beta reading the third for the pirate series in okay. that world okay um but yeah i recommend all her stuff um, all right so you're gonna have to drop that link in our show notes yes i will do that so how has your week been um it's Monday, so my week's just getting started and all the possibilities are laying before me. How was your past week? <laughs> uh, the past week was interesting. I have been exploring the U.S. real estate market and we should probably leave it at that before I go off on a tangent because we're here to talk about something just maybe even more difficult, but... Um, for me, it feels a lot more like we can do something about it today. Yes. And also, uh, um, our listeners, uh, Bethany did have some good stuff happening last week because I also beta read. I didn't beta read. I actually uh, critiqued a short yes. story that she's writing. And it's fucking awesome. So she's also, she, she, she did aside the whole US real estate stuff. Creativity wise, she had a pretty good week. Well, well, you were reading it. I was just sitting there to get it back from you going, I hope it's good. It is. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's, let's dive in because at this point we have teased everyone and everyone is actually here to hear us talk about representation and diversity in yeah. writing. So Bethany's book is a novella in her Unchosen series. And that's by the pen name. Uh, I cannot pronounce it. So I'll let her do that. <laughs> It's by, it's by Sierra Darren, my alter ego. Yes, yes. So uh, um, we'll drop a link to that as well. All right. But let's get to the topic. Yes. Yes. So um, the topic basically is building on what we said last week is why does this conversation, why does this conversation matter? Um, what does this conversation yes. about representation matter? Um it might seem obvious to us, um, but it doesn't mean that it's obvious to everyone else. I have found yeah. that out personally quite often. People are like, oh, we had the Civil War in the U.S. 150 years ago. We're good now. Um, <laughs> but uh, for people yeah. who have been in this space for a while, this topic matters quite a lot. Yes. Um, yeah, and I want to say, like, I... I this is really like you said like um people who've been in this space i do that right like i take that for granted and i i, I sometimes assume that other people see things my way like i remember uh, being at university doing gender studies doing uh, post-colonial theory and then you walked out of the university uh, um building and then you realize, oh, wait, not everybody is in this sort of feminist, activist, um, anti-racist bubble. <laughs> Oopsie. Uh, and yeah, that can lead to some awkward situations. And the same goes for this topic. It's like, are we still talking about this? Yes, um, we have to. So I remember that we talked about visibility during our first episode. And I, I would say that's the key, right? It's like, um, it's about resonance, about being able to like the conversation matters because not everybody is able to recognize themselves um, on the people that they meet on the page or on the screen. Um, yeah. 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 It's, it's about validation. And 
I know we're going to talk more about validation and, and writing so that everyone can see themselves on the page, but it's also about having other people meet people who don't look exactly like them. Um, like it's on my mind right now a lot because I have some family members that I, uh, I need to talk to about some of my identities. And I'm realizing that it would be a lot easier for me if I knew they had ever met some of my identities in their media. And I know they haven't. So it goes both ways. We're going to focus more in this episode, according to my notes, because, you know, we are organized people who have notes. Uh, You don't want to hear us record a podcast without notes, people. So be grateful we have them. (laughs) Extensive. Yes. You don't want us to say our PhDs out loud on air. You, you nope. want the condensed version. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's important that other people can see you and it's really important to be able to see yourself on the page, on the screen. Just, um, it's a lived experience. It makes your lived experience valid. It shows that you're not alone. It, it makes you feel like your reality, I mean, sometimes you have an identity that no one has around you and you're like, am I even real? Yes. Like, am I crazy? Yes. Yes. I've had that. Yeah. 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 And it can be like, like just, just, it's not enough, but just reading like one person on the page can be just like, wait, right. It can be such an uplifting experience. And of course you need much more representations. That's why we're doing this podcast, but just this, um, this whole, I am not alone. I'm not crazy. Oh my Um, gosh. I know, I think we're going to mention this TV show later on at some point, but Sensate, the final scene in the final episode of the final season, or that that extra episode that finished everything out, there's this wedding and a poly quad shows up and it's it's multiple black guys with a, a lighter skinned woman. I forget her exact um, heritage, but for me, that was just oh my gosh, I'm, I'm seeing my family on the screen. It was amazing. Yeah. I, I started alert. crying. <laughs> what? Spoiler alert. I've not seen this series. I'm not um, saying who it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm no, not even saying the, who's yeah. wedding. But that's the thing, right? And that's because um, like some identities are simply like they're so underrepresented right now. That's why we're mm-hmm. having this conversation. And, and some people are very much overrepresented. Like we can, like, they, they're, they're in every book. They're everywhere. Yes. We talked about this as well uh, uh, during the last episode. Yeah. yeah. So you just have to, like, think about back to your own childhood, your teenage years, who you were, how you were feeling. Think about the characters that you resonated with. Um, and who you felt kinship and and relatability and like how did that affect you? Like what let you cry? What let you grow? What let you go? Oh, this is a thing. Um, and these characters aren't always exactly like you. There might be just a little slim figure thing that's like like you, but the more it adds up, it really can it can lift your spirits. It can it can change your life. Um, sometimes you look at a character and you're like, oh, I want to be like them. Um, and for, and for me, it, it was often like, I want to be like this person. 
they don't have the same gender as me or the same skin color or the same sexuality. I don't have the same level of ability in a certain area. But you find your way forward. But if you have to keep changing every single thing about characters so you can find anyone to identify with, that's that's so much mental work. It's emotionally taxing. Yeah. Yeah, and quite, and, and it can be quite, um, like we said, right? Like, as if who you are as a person is not being validated. Yeah. Because you don't see yourself. And I would say, like, this is important, like, as adults, right? That when we open a newspaper, um, just looking at the news, um, but also when we open a book and when we, like, check Netflix, that we see ourselves represented, right? In our stories and our, our lived realities, but imagine that imagine not having access to that um to those kind of characters like in your more formative years like when you're younger um so for me this is why it's especially important that children have access yes. to stories that represent them and i would say that um the biggest surge in sort of diverse books are children's books right now like they are really coming up and i really love seeing that um I think but it's I amazing. Know. Yeah. Hey, do you do you listen to uh, a Brené Brown's Unlocked podcast? Not in a long time. I haven't okay. had that much time to listen to podcasts lately. It's it's weird, right? Because I I used to drive much more and walk much more, and since lockdown, I completely that's 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 when I listen to podcasts. So I I started walking down the beach um, again to the beach. Um, so I I. I finally got a chance to do some older episodes and she had to see us as one episode and she talks with uh gabby rivera um and she is the one who writes the latinx and lesbian superhero uh, america chavez for marvel Very so cool. when i saw that i was like i need to listen to that so i i just listened to the interview um recently and i really highly recommend it and this is exactly what they talk about as well like this sort of like you know, when you grow up and there's nobody like you. And so if you're, if you're passionate about representation, this is really the episode for you. And especially just hearing um, how she also, they also talk about how it's done, like on the, on the more executive level, right? They, they were like, we, we want to do this superhero, but we want to do it right. So let's ask this particular individual to do it for us. Mm-hmm. And then she decided to to not just write like a super cool uh, a lesbian Latinx superhero, but she's like, you know, there's so much wrong about the genre in itself that perpetuates certain role models and structures. So she literally changed the entire way we think about superheroes. Because she's like, if you if you want me to do this, I'm going to do it properly. So That's it's really it's a really... Yeah, it's a really inspiring episode. Uh, so I, I can see our show notes for this episode is going to be a little bit long because we have to add that one in too. Yes, yes, definitely. I'm, I'm definitely going to give a link because it's really, uh, it's really good. Um, so I, I know we're going to talk a lot about what's wrong with representation today, but maybe it's a good idea if we first start talking a little bit about those uplifting moments, you know, when we did feel the validation, the validation that's kind of, that relief of recognizing like, oh, wow, this is an important part of myself and I see it in this <laughs> character. Yeah, please. Yes, let's let's go there. Okay, you want to go first? Um, sure. Well, or do you want, well, why don't you go first? Okay. 
Um, so let me think. When I grew up, because I'm, I'm thinking of this novel, but I cannot remember the author um, or the or the title. Um, so when I grew up, there was quite a gap between me and my classmates in terms of level, and that kind of set me apart. Like um, what kind of level? Like like age? Did you start school early or something? No, no. Uh, uh, this is gonna sound so stuck up and arrogant. Uh, intelligence. You so, were just more. You were just more geared towards that academic environment. Yeah, in, in the in the Dutch system, there uh, when I was when I was in elementary school, there's four levels you could go to. Mm-hmm. So the, the 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 it's really bad because they call it the bottom level, right? So that says so much. But that so that's like purely vocational, and then okay. there is the the level up is vocational with just a bit of theory. Then you have like a complete mix of vocational and theory. And then you have the completely yeah geared towards academic. Like if you do that, the chances are you're going to college, right? You're okay, going to we have a little bit of that in the U.S. Like we call them honor students and stuff, but it's not not quite the same. No, it's it's always funny how every country sort of like makes up their own system. So for me, it was like this. I was um, it was clear that I was going towards the university level. So I was going to the fully theoretical level. On, in, on the secondary school level mm-hmm. and except for one all the other classmates were going to the vocational level okay so there was so, definitely a different directional going on in your classroom yeah so there's there's four basically there's four levels and there were all the four the, the, there was there were all in the four there was one on the third level and then I was like on what they call the level one the questions you don't think to ask. So anyone who's writing about a Dutch country, you should probably look into the education system. It's different than what you're used to. Yes, email me. Uh, <laughs> it's an interesting system. It has changed also, by the way, since okay. since I grew up. Okay, so, but anyway, so that, that difference in level, I was really aware mm-hmm. of that. Um, and I knew that some of the kids that I ne- didn't necessarily like, they sometimes sucked up to me because they wanted to work with, with me on like, projects that you had to do together because for them it was basically a guarantee that with minimal effort they would get a high grade ah because i i i I am a study studious person right so i don't mind doing the work no um and um i mean once a nerd always a nerd um but i also remember so that was sort of like you know i would i I would simply say no i don't want to work with you but I also remember, and I think that stuck with me much more, is parents. Um, so I overheard parents telling their kids or other parents why they didn't want their kids to play with me. And that was because they were afraid that I would make their kid feel dumb. Ouch. Yes. Big ouch. Uh, yeah, that, and that was a big ouch. Um, so I, I this whole, you know, um, this whole leaning towards making yourself small yeah right yeah that I completely understand where that's coming from so I cannot particularly remember like I said I cannot remember any titles or authors um and I I I think I have one or two books in mind but so there were a few books that I found in the library that were about smart girls right and like like this especially this one book in which this girl was applauded for being the clever one because she was the one that always kept her head cool no matter what. Like there was a group of friends and they always got into dangerous stuff, like really dangerous stuff. She was the one who got them out of trouble. And 
it was such a relief reading a story in which it was okay for the girl to be the smartest uh, or just to be smart right now I don't I don't even know if she was the smartest of the group but she was smart um and she and the girl, she was smart and had friends yes that's the thing right and that's like she wasn't portrayed like she was a pain like for example Hermione in Harry Potter so the intelligence mm-hmm. that she had didn't come with any negative connotations right like older people would say to the other friends you're lucky she was with you Mm, nice. I'm like, oh wait, it's actually it's, it's actually valued, um, and also she so she got also got the full credit, and Hermione often doesn't get the credit, does she? <laughs> um, so that was like, it didn't happen a lot, but for me that was like it made me think, oh wait, like maybe I'm not like a freak, or maybe it's actually not a bad thing that yeah. I have a fun- that I have a, that my brain functions the way it does yeah how about you uh as a child i think it was the chronicles of narnia actually um Mm -hmm. that because um the children in that story actually did things and they made a difference and they were they were fully realized people when they went to narnia versus like england where they lived normally but when they went to Narnia, they were kings and queens. They had responsibilities. They had to take care of their people. Um, even if the adults back in England didn't recognize the full human potential of these four kids, when they went to this other world, it was recognized and they fully embraced their talents and abilities. So that for me was incredibly freeing. Like I was like, okay, I can secretly be everything, even if the people around me don't know it and or or don't want to recognize it yeah not to be too hard on adults I mean a lot of times adults just miss it and they're busy and going around their lives (laughs) but um as a teacher and someone who actually has clear and distinct memories back to the age of three adults usually miss how full and fully realized children actually are um I was also in love with the Margaret Henry books um they're old now I mean they were old when I was reading them but they they're books about um young people and horses um often historical horses but all almost always boys with the horses to be honest um like the Misty the Shikantiku series which is based on a real story had a girl and a boy in it um as well as the horse characters but other than that it was almost always boys in a lot of the stories that I loved had boys as the main character and like no girls or a mother or a grandmother or a character. Um, and it was the boys that I would relate to. Um, so I would retell, I would, I would read the books or have my mom read them to me. And then I would retell the story to myself, inserting a girl, usually myself into the story um, and make myself important or make the girl important to the story coming out properly. So I just retold all the books in my head. But that's kind of like what you said, right? Like if you don't have, if you don't have uh, people like you on the page or you don't yeah. have the people that are exactly like you on the page, you have to do that kind of work. Yeah. And at the time, I mean, granted, there was restriction on my reading and, you know, back then there weren't as many books with girl characters that were doing anything other than being princesses and waiting for their knights to show up. Um, well, we still have those. <laughs> yes, we do. Although we'll get to some better examples. Um, 
I was just looking for one that had a girl, let alone all the other identities that would eventually show up in my life and the lives of those around me. It was just trying to find a female character in a book. Yeah, um, that, that that wasn't just waiting around for the men. Oh gosh, right? girls don't wait. Girls like we do things. Oh yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. And and going off that theme, like when I was when I was um, 11, 12, 13, my dad was trying to feed me enough books. He eventually broke down and gave me a library card because I was breaking his bank account. Um, <laughs> lovely man, he tried. Uh, he came home with Lord of the Rings, you know, put the whole thing down in one combined volume. It made a thud on the kitchen table. He's like, this should take you a little while. I, I, yeah. I was just thinking that he's like, <laughs> This will get her, get her off my bag for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no, he tried it with uh he tried that with Lord of the not Lord of the Rings. He tried that with War and Peace when I was eleven, and then he tried it again with Lord of the Rings. And I I read Lord of the Rings in five days. So yeah, after that he gave up. Um, but <laughs> thank you, Dad. Uh, but the the Lord of the Rings carried the same problem for me. There's there's like two main female characters in the book, right? Like yeah. most people have seen the movies. Um, and I was just frustrated by it because one of them does not wait, but she has to pretend to be a guy. And the other one does wait. And it nearly kills her because she's waiting for her the man she loves. Um, so I actually ended up uh, heavily uh, sympathizing and identifying with the hobbits because I'm an extremely short person. I, I luckily managed to make it to five foot one. Um, and so I'm literally almost the same height as hobbits, like not much taller than an actual hobbit measured in the book. Um, so that was one personality persona that I was able to find, but yeah, um, other good stories that I read was like uh, the Star Wars, the expanded universe, which I still haven't forgiven Disney for making them basically fanfic, but that's a whole nother story. Um, there was the the Rogue Squadron by Michael Stackpole, who really influenced me when I was uh, learning to write. He wrote about misfits, Jedis who couldn't use telekinesis. So basically Jedis with a handicap. Um, members of, the, of Rebellion and Alliance just, it didn't work well with the normal rules and regulations, but they still had hearts of gold, still protected their comrades and still were necessary and influential in the end. And I think I identified with them because I felt out of place and I knew I wasn't measuring up to everything that was like the norm. And so these, these rebels, even though they didn't look like me, they, they felt more like me. Um, and then I think... I'm rambling. Tamora Pierce was the first fantasy writer I remember reading that wrote about a black character. Um, and she wrote about a, a woman who decides to become a knight. And that was really influential to me. So so I don't know Tamora Pierce. I know you, you've mentioned her before, but can you remember what that uh, the representation was like? Because she she's like, Tamora Pierce is a white woman. Yeah, she is. Um, it, so this is the thing about writing race in fantasy worlds that don't have the same history as ours and i think it's actually valuable i'll try not to go off on a tangent about it but um it, she didn't have to deal with certain issues because the history wasn't there it was just a, a character who happened to be black because they lived in you know a desert area where people had darker melanin in their skin and it was like a, a foreigners 
um, coming in who happened to migrate to the area. So there weren't a lot of people with the skin color, but they also brought certain things to the table, their own language, their own background and stuff. Um, the character himself, he was actually this nerdy teenager who was studying medicine. And he was actually this balancing force against three headstrong girls. So he was more of the, he balanced them out when they were going to do something crazy and risk all of their lives. He was like, well, maybe we should think about this first <laughs> and patch them up afterwards because he was studying medicine. Um, and I was like, oh, this is, this is awesome. And that was it. To me, he was just a character that I loved in a book. It was normal. Yeah, because th that's great because that doesn't, to me, like on first glance, that doesn't sound like it sort of perpetuates any harmful stereotypes of a black man. No, it it really didn't. It gave me a very a very positive impression. Um, again, in a fantasy world where you don't have these backgrounds, if you haven't yeah. built in a certain racism into the story, you can have a more neutral representation. Of course, there was racism and history in the world that other people had to deal with, but he wasn't a part of what we would deal with if I say wrote a novel set in Chicago in 2021. Yeah, well, that's actually for those who are still um, on the fence about listening to Brené Brown's uh, interview with uh, Gabby Rivera. They also talk about that is that she made um, her the, the America Chavez, the, the character, she gave her um, a planet that didn't have like a colonial past, for example, just to mm. see what that would be like. Yeah. Like, she also made that very conscious decision. Like, what if your roots, like, even though you live in this reality, this world where the, uh, the like empire, colonial colonialism, uh, uh, slavery, I'm thinking apartheid, all of that has left such trauma and, and deep rifts right mm -hmm. uh, she's like what what would it look like if your actual roots the planet where you actually came from doesn't have that history what does that do to you what does that do this, to your people this so, is one of yeah. the things I love about fantasy because it lets us reimagine ourselves so for yeah. me fantasy and telling myself stories let me reimagine my identity as a woman without the religious trappings that I grew up with like what if it was different what if there was no patriarchy <laughs> right oh god I want to yeah. read that book okay so how about uh books you've read as an adult mm, okay I feel like I'm doing all the talking here but um I'll keep this short then Judith Tarr <laughs> is a good author uh she wrote the first trans character I ever read um which struck me deeply uh I remember reading and then rereading this scene and I could stop looking at it one, it was really well done scene. Um, it left a positive imprint on me because it helped me accept trans people. And this was when I was still reading my way out of bigotry. It wasn't that I was personally like against it or like protesting this kind of thing. It was just like, no one's ever talked about it positively to me. And I don't even know what this is. I just know that people can't even talk about it because it's so awful. And then I read this book and I was like, what, why do people have a problem? Like it, it was this total switch for me with no politics involved. It was just a story. Um, and then I, I read, I really fell in love with Megan Whalen's Turner's The Thief series, um, which is set in part of the world near you, actually. It's set in like a reimagined ancient alternative world, Greece. 
and the Greek coastline. Um, she actually went there and did her research and there's a lot of Greek names in the series and I love it. Um, which, but the thing is it is most of the, the kingdoms are ruled by very strong women, um, conflicted women who have flaws and make tough choices. And I really, I resonated with that. And then I've already mentioned it as a, as an adult, I would say Sensate, the TV show was just monumental for me. I, I cried through so many of those scenes. As a poly person and a person in an interracial relationship, I was like, okay, yes, shall enshrine upon my wall forever. It's like, um, so I still haven't seen Supernatural, but we have a mutual friend who has a tattoo of the show. So would you get a tattoo of Sam's 8? I don't know if I would get tattoos at all. I'm still going back and forth on that. Um, You're a tattoo virgin. I am a tattoo virgin. Um, okay. <laughs> I thought about it. Let me. I've put had like this... one. Okay, so that's not. Yeah. I've Let me one, put it this so. way. I would have a mur. Um, I would have an eight foot mural of Sensei on my garden wall. How's that? I think that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that bridges that gap. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let me like, okay, so let me give Let's flip uh, this around. How about you? Yeah, yeah, let, let me uh, bring one of my favorite series. So um, when I think of the books that I've read, like over the past decade, I, I, I the one series that comes to mind is the Shadowhunter series by Cassandra Clare. If you're watching the TV show or you've watched the film and you haven't read the books, it's not representative period. We're not going to fight about this. It's my professional opinion. Um, so read the, read the books. Okay. Um, so you're saying the TV show doesn't do justice to the representation that's done in the books. No, what the TV show does is this. Oh, in the book, it's like this. How about we turn it 180? And then the next scene happens and next big event. Okay. So in the, in the, in the, in the uh, book, they do this. How about we turn that like 180? So it's literally like, you know, the you're opposite. In this, it's literally, it's it's like, it's, I, I watch it. I've watched a few seasons more in a, like with a friend who's also in love with the, the books, more <laughs> in a, like we were texting each other, like, oh, like, okay, so this scene is coming up. What do you think? Is this person who lives throughout the entire thing, is this person gonna die? And actually this person died. And I'm like, this person doesn't die in the book. Okay, so anyway, um, why the Shadowhunter series though? Um, so I identify as queer because while I actually prefer being with women, I have had long-term relationships with men in the past. Mm -hmm. So there is this character in Claire Shadowhunter's world uh, called Magnus Bane. Uh, and he's like- an That's a really cool name. Yeah, it's not. It's his chosen name. Uh, he's an eccentric warlock. He has like this brilliant sense of fashion, and he ends up in a relationship with a gay shadow hunter. And the shadow hunter world doesn't accept uh, same sex relationships. Ah. It's it's not a thing. Got um, it. So from book one onwards, there's like multiple books in multiple eras. And of course, he's a warlock, so he's in all of them because he's like 800 years old or so. So from book one onwards, it's very clear that Magnus Bane, he has had both male and female lovers um, in the past. 
And Yay. I was actually quite scared that he would eventually be turned into another gay character. Because that's what happens, right? It's like by invisibility. Yeah, um, like eventually you're going to figure out what you really like. Yeah, so you're finally going to make a choice. You're going to stick with it. Like, I, I I, I, get that. Like, I like, so like now I'm in a, in a committed relationship with a woman, right? And my previous relationship was with a man. And now I get, I always thought you were a lesbian. Or I get, oh, so you're a lesbian now. And I'm like, that is, so, mm. there's so much teeth grinding. I'm pretty sure you can relate. <laughs> um... Someday we're going to have to talk about the, the gingerbread man um, idea of how to define um, romantic versus physical versus all those other identities. Yes, let's do that. Okay, so but so for me, so I had that fear, right? I expected Cassandra Clare to treat Magnus Bain the same as... Uh, um, like, you know, his relationship developed, he's committed to this guy. So I was expecting her to, you know make make him like gay right mm -hmm. but she did not like she did the exact opposite uh, I kind of feel like she's been really adamant and she keeps pointing out that he is in fact bisexual right um, so she's actually sort of like underlining again and again and again that him now being with this guy and he wants to be with this guy so he is he's immortal and his lover is not but he wants to be with this guy until this guy dies um and that doesn't change his sexual preference at all. And it's really, it's been really refreshing. And the best part is, is that everybody who is of significance, mm -hmm. they don't question it. They don't care. Because it doesn't matter. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, talking about uh, like, like, like bi erasure. Well, the opposite of bi erasure. I was watching the, um, oh, I'm going to mess it up. It's a Doctor Who spinoff uh it has captain jack in it from the doctor who bbc universe um torchwood the tv show is called torchwood and um the the captain jack is i'm not even sure bisexual is right for him like when he talks he 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 will have attractions to almost anything and anyone of any gender even so pansexual maybe yeah, probably. Like when I first when I first met him, like bisexual is what I thought about. But he's pretty obvious. He's like, I don't really care what you are. Uh, and for me, even though this was a male character, it was an identity I had, and I got so invested in this character because I was like, oh wow! And he has on screen attraction to all kinds of people, and it's sincere. And that was just amazing for me to watch. And I was like. Oh, it's only have four seasons, <laughs> but yeah, it, it was really, it was really good. And just the, um, the feeling you get when you see something like this happen, like uh, a few months back, we had the inauguration here in the U S and it, um, my sister texted out, you know, uh, what, what did she say? Something like today, I was able to tell my daughters that we officially have the first woman vice president. And, you know, her, her children are too young to understand what this means. They're never going to remember a world where there wasn't a female vice president of the United States. But I can remember asking my mom when I was like five, do women ever do that? And she's like, oh, no, women don't do that. Yes. And, and, and she's of color. She is. I didn't even get to that point. Yes. 
Yeah. 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 But I get what you mean. It's like um, for us, it's been like, like I was like, for me, it's for me, it's exciting. And I don't live in the US, right? For, for me, it's exciting. But for example, in the Netherlands, we've never had a, uh, of course, we've had queens for ages. Like we have a king now. And that's really weird for us because nobody who is alive right right now in the Netherlands ha have had has had a king before because we've had so many queens um wow. but we have never had a female uh, uh prime minister oh I did not realize that no and that was like so so part of our his like so for us it's been part of our future like it's what it's it's been one of those one day we'll get there thing and for your um nieces Mm -hmm. it's they never it, it, it's it's part of their past already yeah so they they don't ever for them it's normal and that is so that's so nice it is it yeah. is and it's 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 this gift because much like when we when you open a book fiction you and you can imagine something then you you have to imagine something before you can be it um so yes. I got really excited, like last Halloween, there were all these girls dressing up as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the chief justice who recently yeah. passed, unfortunately. And that, that to me was amazing. Like nobody told me as a child that a girl could be a judge. Nobody, <laughs> like that did not cross my mind. <laughs> no, no, yeah, but, and, but this, and this is the point, like, like representation, it's also, it's, it's about those role models. So yeah. like knowing that that somebody already walked that path before you, you don't have to be the trailblazer because other women have done that before you. Um, yeah. In the case of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That actually reminds me of this article that I read a while ago. Um, there was, it was about this med medieval fair, right? So two white people were dressed up as the ruler. So what, the king and the queen of the fair or something, the prince and princess, something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so they were like welcoming their people right like in their as roles do. as you do right so there's <laughs> this black girl right this black girl shows up in a princess dress and she walks past this couple and like her black dad's in tow right so this she's woman, like really little if i remember what you sent me it was like a, a, a little girl a black little a, a little black girl right like four or five yeah, maybe six, something like that, right? Um, so this woman, she like so the woman who's like the the, the queen, right? She yeah, asked the fair this young, queen. yeah, the fair queen. She asked this young girl like like oh hello, like do you belong like do you belong to the same kingdom? Like are you one of our? Uh, and the girl's like no. Uh, so the woman is like okay, oh well, where are you visiting us from? And the girl's like Wakanda. And this this woman, so there's this white woman. She's dressed in this like you know like like royal dress. She just doesn't blink, crosses her arm, makes a Wakanda symbol, and tells this girl that I'm so honored, like that we have a princess from Wakanda vis like visiting our lands. And then she pokes her like husband, right, uh -huh. the, the, the the fair the king. queen, king. And he was talking to some other people. So she goes like, my love. We have a visitor here from the kingdom of Wakanda. And this guy too, no blinking, turns around, makes the Wakanda greeting. And also mm -hmm. says, oh, it's such an honor. And this black girl is just like so happy, right? And her dad too, like they, in the article, it's like they're, 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 they're describing, beaming. like they're just beaming, right? So for me, this, 
this is why this conversation matters. This is why represent representation matters because I mean, it was such a big deal, at least here in the US and I'm sure other places as well when Black Panther came out. Like the energy in that theater, they yes. saw it. I was like, oh my gosh. But like, that was for me, like I went as a white woman with my white partner, mm -hmm. went to see Black Panther. So we felt that. So imagine like you going with your black guys. Yeah, both of them. Yes. So I'm like, for so for me, it was a big thing. I got yeah. emotional watching Black Panther. Yeah, I mean, it's so a freaking good story. Yeah, but like, but imagine what it's like. So it, so we understand like you instead you understand um, like if you're invested in the topic like like we are. I understood what this meant. Yeah, right. So like I said, it made me emotional. It opens up the mind. It frees yeah. the mind. Not just not just of the the uh, uh, a young black child watching it or a, a young or even a middle aged black person watching it. But um, of anyone else to imagine the difference, like like when I walk a store with my husband, like I want them to think about Black Panther, not the latest like grungy, you know, drug smuggling cop show. Like that's that's I, that's a different headspace to be in when they see him. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. I, I earlier we talked about princesses being reimagined and since you just told yeah. the story i'll tell you this one i think i shared the video with you of um oh yeah i think i know i think i know what you're talking about yeah. yeah this girl's a little younger i think she's like three or four she's wearing the full elsa costume that teal dress and the gloves and everything and she's in her backyard and there's like 12 inches of snow i don't know where this was filmed but somebody's playing the elsa music with the Elsa song and the girl's singing along and she's acting out um, the let it go motions. She must've seen this so many times cause she's doing all the motions. And he gets to that one part in the song where Elsa pulls off her gloves, like the cold never bothered me anyway. And yeah, she, yeah, yeah. this little girl pulls her gloves off and throws them on the, the ground. And she's doing like this, like a superwoman pose with the, the fists and her arms out. And she's just doing that thing where she's, she doesn't even know it, but she's doing what they teach women to do in confidence building classes, putting her shoulders back and yeah. standing tall. And she's learning this from the media, the books she's reading, the stories she's listening, the music she's listening to, the movies she's watching. She's embodying that in her own play. Yeah. So yeah. she's, when you, when you, you talked about reimagining princesses, like I think what a lot of, um, um, so, which is nice, right? Because I can say a lot of bad things about Disney, right? There's, there's plenty of examples uh, and they have their own disclaimer now as well in, in, a, lot of, in a lot of older films. Yeah, um, but for Elsa, like what, 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 what Frozen did for me was like, um, first of all, it shows that you can be strong and independent, right? Mm -hmm. um, and but you can also you, you can still be vulnerable with this like soft front, like very like just mm -hmm. understand this, people. Like I'm I'm a, very much a Brené Brown fan, so you know strong back, soft front, wild heart. That that's kind of my mm -hmm. my my thing, um, and that takes its own kind of courage, right? Like I I, I loved that. Uh, for me, Frozen for me was like 
they, they have this idea that, oh, only true love can fix it. And of course, the fixation is on uh, which of the guys is it? <laughs> yeah. Right? Wait, and But I loved how they turned that whole story that they have been telling so often, right? Disney has told that story and not just Disney, that story so often, the romantic story. And then we realize, oh, wait, the true love is actually the love between the two sisters. Yeah. And Which that's been going on forever. Like, wow. So it's, 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 yeah, it does re it, it, it helps with the reimagining um, and it makes girls like understand that you can be strong. Um, yeah. That that's okay to have power. Yeah. And I like, right? I, I, I'm, I think his name is Steph. I hope I'm not getting it wrong, but Anna's love interest in Frozen, the man with the reindeer, like he's he's a good um representation for men to be honest (laughs) like to think about like oh I can be an awesome boyfriend but I don't have to be the center of her universe and she doesn't have to drop everything for me and we can still both be fully realized people and our our love can still be you know valid yeah and and without him taking um the credit right like he's 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 aiding her Yes. Right. But she's still doing her own. Like what you often see um, is um, even if you have pretty strong female characters, you'll see the plot sort of like halt Mm -hmm. until a male character shows up and he does something that, you know, pushes the plot forward again. Um, So I think in like, for me, it's like, so it doesn't mean you have to be like, I, I love interdependence you know, mm-hmm. as, a, as an yep. idea, instead of full independence, uh, because the it, it, connection is still important. We do need other people. So I like the way that it's not compl- like she's not dependent on him, but he's helping her and that's making her reach her goals faster. And he's not dependent on her, but together they do a much better job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, I often like, like sometimes I get that feeling when people are wondering, like, what does it matter? It's fiction. It's just fiction. Like, there's oh, just yeah. are there no books that 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 just made you? I want to ask people: Are there no books that just opened your mind and turned your world upside down? That that made you feel understood? That made you feel under uh, less alone? That helped you keep going? And even if it's not a book, it there's a story somewhere that meant something to you. I think almost everybody can point to a story somewhere and people we who said this oh I I wish no it wasn't I I don't know who said this and I feel bad because it's a very famous woman writer I believe but um there there are cultures without the wheel but there are no cultures without story as humans we need story we learn from myths I don't know I don't. It's, I love it, but I don't. I don't know who said if it. If I if I can find it, we'll put it in okay. the show notes. I literally okay. ran across it yesterday, and I forgot to write it down. Okay. Um, but I I read that, and I was like, yes, we are a people of story. Yeah, um, we are storytellers. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. people just just learn from fiction. We learn from ourselves. We turn ideas that we can't concisely make into these stories, so we can carry them forward. Things that we don't even have words for. No, I think, and I think for me, and and this definitely at least partly has to do with privilege right is that what a lot of people don't seem to understand is that that representation 
or the lack thereof can be a matter of life and death. Yeah. And like I said, privilege has a lot to do with that. Because if you are overrepresented, you don't understand that this is an important issue, right? You don't because understand every- what it's like to not be. No, because every time you open a, you open a book or you uh, turn on the TV, there you are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's privilege. So do you do you mind if I share an example of that? This whole life. And Go ahead. Thing? No, I, I think we should we should highlight this. Yeah. So for context, um, I published an anthology with two fellow editors a couple of years ago uh, on the 31st of March, which is International Transgender Day of Visibility. And the book is called uh, Courage is a Gift and Other Stories by and about transgender, non-binary and queer people. Um, and we can drop a show note because both anthologies that I have um, are free. You can get them for free online. And like I said, uh, these show notes will be deep today, but valuable. Yes, yes. So I had known Ash Roberts, one of the co-editors. Um, I, I'd known her a little bit because we move in the same writer circles on Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how I came to ask her to be a co-editor on this project. So in her introduction to the collection, Ash tells her story about discovering out she's transgender and how this lack of good representation led to this real low point. And then she starts talking about uh, fiction specifically. And that's actually the bit that I wanna share with you all. So I, I, uh, if you wanna read the entire introduction, like I said, um, we'll put in the show notes, you can get the book for free through my website. Um, but, but so here's the bit that um, Ash writes about fiction specifically in the introduction. So this is a quote. Okay, give it to us. There is a story I tell on occasion. After I realized I was transgender, I fell into a low point in my life. I saw the violence perpetrated against transgender people and the barriers to healthcare. This was 2017, the year that North Carolina forced transgender people to use the bathroom corresponding to their assigned birth. I was frankly ready to take my life. But in spite of what my mental state was at the time, I've, I've always been a voracious reader. While making preparations to end my suffering, I continued reading through my ever-growing to-be-read pile. I started reading The Hammer of Thor, Rick Riordan's second book in his Magnus Chase and the Gods of Asgard series. On those pages, I was exposed to Alex Fierro, a gender-fluid character. It was the first time I'd seen a character even close to me in a story. I cried, tears of relief and of joy. I cried for hours that night. And when I wiped away the tears, I knew I wasn't going to kill myself. I had a mission. I didn't want anyone else to go through what I did. No one should have to go more than three decades to see themselves represented in fiction. As a writer, it is my responsibility to make the world a better place for the next generation. See, that's, that's the point. I mean, that's almost the point of writing. Right. And so I remember like I reading it now gives me the fucking chills. Right. And can you imagine me like I was like, Ash, 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 I need to write you an introduction for this book. Right. And I get this. You're like, and okay, I, stop everything. Deep I breath. was like, yeah, I was like, okay. Right. And it still gets to me when I read this, like I still get chills. Um, and also it makes me so angry with the world um but like i said it also gives me that drive to fight to 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 change things right do do you know do you know that kind of that double bind like you're angry but it's a it well we're always told growing up anger is wrong but to be honest 
anger can be an extremely fruitful and useful force in the universe. Um, it can be, it can that, be fuel. It, it can be. It's, it's not the only fuel. Anger alone will eventually burn you out and leave you a husk of yourself. Yes. But, but anger, um, anger tells you when something's wrong. Anger's that warning system to tell you that a boundary's been crossed or that there's an injustice. And when you use it like that, anger is completely valid and extremely useful and we should not be afraid of it. Um, And so, I mean, Ash's story has all those base elements of why you and I are having this conversation, why we're having this (laughs) podcast, why we're eventually going to write a book, why we're spending hours and hours in this, in this space and mental headspace, because we both have books to write. We would be very happy to keep writing our fiction. And yet we're here doing this. Um, There's still a lot of issues around representation literature today. Like I said, I've I've read for years. I've read almost 2000 books in my life that I've documented and I've read maybe three with transgender characters in them. Yeah. Um, it's amazing that your friend Ash found this one character because there are so few. Um, yeah, at the right time too. Yes, and it shouldn't be that way. It really shouldn't. No, like, like she said, right? It shouldn't be this hard to find yourself represented. Yeah. Right. Um there's there's a reason why things are this way and and that's partly because we have all these classics we had this this english uh what do you call it the 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 lexicon the no the canon the the canon thank you the canon Um, the the english canon of fiction literature in the our anglo-saxon cultural heritage around english of course it's a lot more than anglo-saxon now but you wouldn't know it all the time um (laughs) I mean, if you think about like the classics, people are still like, yes, you're in high school. You should read Shakespeare and Dickens. And we're like, well, you know, they're kind of old now, but um, we're still being taught this in school and due to colonialism. Some of these are also taught as classics in what used to be colonies where people aren't even white. They're dealing with very different backgrounds. our cultural archive has been influenced so much by this. Our big bookshelves are still full of these kind of materials. It's not that we need to get rid of them. It's that it needs to be balanced. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that, that and like, like, It's like what you said, right? It's not that we shouldn't read Dickens, right? But it would be nice if we can read uh, uh, Dickens and then uh, uh, maybe some contemporary uh, African-American author would be great right um american chavez (laughs) or yes for example right like like uh uh, would that be too much for english classes these days to actually read comics i don't know um i mean but you know i think they're a good form of literature yeah same um but this actually makes me think um because it's funny right because it's 2021 right we've had this fight when we were in school but there's actually right now um there's a film and series on netflix in which two teenage girls of color ask their very white male english teacher why they are still reading this or that book or why their reading list isn't more inclusive so we are we are still having that conversation despite that like where we are right now so Mm -hmm. these are um the film is moxie 
and the series is Ginny and Georgia, and both both of them came out in 2021. Which so, one has the two girls questioning their professor? Because I, I watched Moxie, and I don't remember that scene. Oh, um, I, remember it, I, I remember an English teacher being challenged by a Black girl, but not two friends. No, 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 no. So, so you have to, you have her mm-hmm. in Moxie, and then in Ginny and Georgia, there's also a girl of color oh, asking okay. her teacher, like, is this the reading list? Like, uh, how come there's like 15 white people on this and like most of them are male? Um, so it comes up in both films. And I thought that was characters. Yes. And I found that really interesting because they both came out this year. I think it's extremely fitting. I think it's where we're at right now. Yes. And I'm sort of like kind of angry that we were that we didn't deal with this before but hey but again um listen to that uh podcast Brené Brown Gabby Rivera because they also talk about this they talk specifically about how um the hero's journey is so often the white male's journey Mm, yes and how very frustrating that is so that all ties in. So yeah, perhaps you were right. Perhaps perhaps this is why we're doing the podcast right now, because this is the right time to have this conversation. I mean, I think it's always the right time, but maybe you had yes. the conversation effectively. Because people yeah. have said this for years and you know, a lot of times you just ended up in jail or dead. Um <laughs> yeah, it's it's like the the um society as a whole needs to be ready for the conversation. Yeah. 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 All right. So I know I I know we're going to go in depth in how representation works functionally in our future episodes, but would you mind explaining briefly how it works in relation to this imbalance of voices that we're still struggling with? Like we've hinted at it. Let's let's make sure we nail that down if you can. Briefly. Yes, we're not good at it, but we're going to try. Okay. <laughs> Cuz I'm like <laughs> I've I've done I've done guest lectures on this stuff. Okay, but briefly, <clears throat> let's crack's head. Layman's language, my dear nerd. Yes, I will try. Okay, so representation, you know, the act of representing, mm-hmm. um, it works on two levels, and it addresses two separate though interconnected issues. Okay. Okay. So for now, let's just say that when we talk about representation. The first issue we have to address is that there is a general lack of representation. There is the very simple fact that some people are underrepresented compared to other people. Okay, I think we've talked about that a little bit. Yeah, so certain identity markers are not as visible on the page or on Netflix. or So it's about who's present in the books and who's not present, who gets a voice and who does not get a voice. Yes. So this is the quantitative part of the discussion. It's actually something you can tell you, right? You can look, you can, you can look at, you can pick 10 random TV shows or 10 random books from your library and just tell you who's in this book. Yep. And who is the main character? Who's the secondary character? Who's, who dies the first, right? You can literally tell you these things. Okay. So numbers. Yes. The second issue is the lack of good representations or the fact that the representations of diverse characters that we do have, these are often highly problematic and stereotypical representations, which, you know, it doesn't necessarily make anyone heard or seen, 
um sure right these characters they might look like you and they might come from the same place as you have the same disability as you or the same uh, uh, sexuality as you but because of how they are portrayed you'd rather not identify with them yes i get it so this is about the quality not the quantity this is the second part of representation here Yes, and both these levels are vital to the discussion. We need both to improve. We both need more representations and we need these representations to be better. Yes. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about what that does to you, right? Not seeing yourself represented or um, if you are represented, if you are present in culture, if you only see yourself represented in like a negative way, like, do you want to... Start with like, what are your, because we talked about the uplifting ones. So yeah. how about the negative ones? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll jump into this. I made you go first last time, I think. Yes. Um, so when I was a child, I was very conflicted about being female. I think I've mentioned it. All my books had males in it. I wanted to be like the boys. Um, my heroes were by and large women. I remember having multiple crises about being like, well, I must be a bad woman. I only want to be like guys. Um, And and remember, I was in that cult growing up for a while. Uh, Men predominate biblical stories, if you read the Bible, um, which was a large part of the literature that I had access to at the time. Um, I was reading a lot of history books in the Landmark series. If anyone's familiar with that, it's a series of American history books. They're all about 120 pages long, sixth grade level, and they cover like the whole span of American history. Um, I read like a hundred of those books. And I think I can name about five, five female figures that came up for me in in my reading. Well, like it's called his story, right? It's not called her story. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that right, before. That's, yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, like, even in my books that had girls as a main protagonist, they had to watch and wait and pray that their hopes and dreams came true, um, usually waiting on men. And the, the women around me, I mean, this is extreme for most people, but the women around me largely covered their heads. Like we're talking like head coverings here. So their hair didn't show um, as a sign of submission to their husbands on top of what I was reading. This is what I was seeing. Um, And one of the older girls in our church was engaged at 14 engaged. She married at 17. Um, And I, I, I didn't think this was odd that she did this at the time because the girls in the Bible and my history books were being married at a similar age or younger. That was completely normal. And remember what you read in your fiction and your history is what you think is normal if you're living it. Um, Yeah. So uh, it, it, it controlled my imagination to be honest. Um, so I, I think this is like one of the reasons women weren't allowed to read partially in some parts of time in history. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because, because reading is, is dangerous, right? Like, um, you might catch the vapors. Yeah, no, but people ask, like, these are just books, right? Or this is just a a show on on the TV, but there's a reason that books are banned. If books are just books. They aren't the first to go when um, 
some kind of social big... disruption happens. Yeah, many... I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking German occupation, for example. And I'm how many thinking... artworks and books, uh, and I, I know like uh, uh, Margaret Atwood and The Handmaid's Tale used to be banned. Yeah, in, in some schools, places. right? And like, if if books are just books. Yeah, no, I did my, I I did my um, thesis in university on uh, propaganda in communist China, and book burning was a thing throughout history. You yeah. you get rid of what you don't want the population thinking about. Um, yes. And I'm not signaling out communism for book burning. They just there's history before communism in China that book burning was a thing, and we definitely had book burning here. I grew up around people who burned books. That makes me twinge, but I did. I remember serious conversations like, should we buy these books so we can burn them? But then the author will get paid for them. Yeah, that, that's a conversation that happened around me. Um, so where was I in my notes? Because I, I got a little heated about that fire in books. Well, you were talking about... Oh, uh, I, women. There's a reason women are allowed to read. Yes, because books. Yes, are and books. yes, I, I got off on a tangent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I wanted to be like George Washington when I grew up, which I have a problem with now. But back then, um, you live and you learn, right? Yes. Um, he, I, he got to be a surveyor in his younger years. He learned math and he went out traveling the land and he learned about it and he took notes about it and he made maps. And I thought this was really cool. Um, and he, he got to change his world based on what he thought would make it better. And the women in my books got sold off, married off, spent their years cooking and cleaning and having children and worrying about the men in their lives. I, I like to cook a nice gourmet meal. I'm good at it. I like a clean house. I'm good at it. Most of the time, if I'm not writing, the better I am at writing, the worse I am at housework. But uh, these are all things that should have respect. It's not all I wanted to do with my life. So I had fantasies of... Yeah, I kind of hope my parents don't listen to this podcast, but uh, I had fantasies of finding a way to die by my 13th birthday. And I was utterly serious about this. Um, I knew that when I started presenting as a woman, when my boobs started to show, that my life would functionally end as I imagined wanting it to be. So my plan was to marry by 12, wasn't outside the realm of possibility based upon the Bible and my history books, have one child, because I kind of did want to have a kid and then die a martyr fighting evil my optimal pick was Hitler I was you know find a way to fight Hitler I I know he was already gone but I made this plan at eight years old so cut me a break um I figured I had five years left to live and I need to make the best of it you also had five years left to build a time machine (laughs) I can go fight Hitler Yes. Well, I figured there were plenty like new Hitlers that would crop up little. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no shortage of Nazis. <laughs> yeah. I Little did I know what was coming in my future. But I was utterly serious like, of this, that I figured it was there was no point in existing beyond this point in my life when I would become recognized and then come subject to the rules of being a woman in my society. And this was because of what 
I was getting through my literature and my imagination and what I was seeing directly around me. Our, our imaginations can be hamstrung by the materials that we feed ourselves. And I was reading plenty of books about Christian martyrs. I was reading about people like missionaries who made the ultimate sacrifice. I figured that there were plenty of ways to go out still as a good person and God couldn't kick me out of heaven if I wasn't the one who pulled the trigger. <laughs> I, was, just, I was being proud. I'm just thinking here. See, representations are a matter of life and death. They really are. Like there was this book about Mary Bunyan, who was uh, the daughter of the man who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which is a seminal fictional work in Christian history. Um, it's it's fictional Christian's progress, like traveling to heaven allegory type story. And um, in the book, this woman's burned alive at the stake. And that's just that that formed part of my mind, like this idea that I had an identity that was that threatened that the rest of the world would hate me for being a Christian and that I was at risk for believing in God. And when you're just reading all of this literature, the world becomes a very threatening place, even though I live in a country that gives preference to Christian values. I didn't I just gonna know say, I lived. It's, 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 I, I was just going to say it, it, it were eventually the Christians who burned, who burned the women at the stake. Yes, but that's not how I remember. We were being fed this literature yeah, so that course. we would be willing to be martyrs. It's grooming yeah, in a yeah, religious yeah. sense through yeah. our fiction and our literature. Fortunately, uh, my parents did leave the cult. I mean, it cost us something, but we, we left. And other literature entered my life. My father, of course, started giving me classics like War and Peace and eventually Lord of the Rings. And I got a library card. I met characters like Princess Leia in Star Wars. Like she was amazing. Princess Leia I was I thought she was freaking awesome and my definition of what I could be as a woman changed as this what I was reading and watching changed um it 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 was a it, it was life and day obviously I'm still alive I didn't find Hitler and find a way to you know tragically die at a young age and for that we thank you <laughs> and, and and the books you've read and and my parents for waking up yeah yes yes also kudos to them yes very good yeah yeah so how about you okay so when I think about a negative example I have to think so I'm a vegan mm -hmm. um and it has to do with that like I became a vegetarian in I can't remember uh a decade ago or so and the first thing my mother said was like, oh, sweetie, that took you so long. Like, you've been talking about this since kindergarten. And I was like, I, I have? I had no idea. I couldn't remember. Um, but what I did remember was when I was about 10 years old or so, I read this book, like a children's book, about this vegetarian girl. And it made me really not want to become a vegetarian. Like this main character was constantly struggling with her family and in school because of this choice she made. And mm. she eventually breaks the law to save some animals from a farm. And this, it, the whole story doesn't end well for anyone. Ouch. Yeah, so fun stuff. Um, 
so good good enough reason for me to not <laughs> want to be associated with that so this so, was your one like example that you had when you were younger yeah and I, I remember picking up the book because I was like oh this 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 girl's a vegetarian like I I I knew I was toying with the idea but I didn't know that I've been speaking like I've been saying it aloud since kindergarten I had no mm-hmm. idea I thought this was just happening in my own little world right but apparently I told my mother at some point so a few years later I read a book in which one of the main characters was a vegan Mm-hmm. And the only vegan I knew at the time was this older sister of one of my school friends. And she was like a super loner. And she was sort of generally considered not right in the head. Right. Ooh. So she was a bit like the crazy freak. Um, I secretly admired her that she was a vegan, despite people clearly yeah. judging her for it. Um, but the character in this novel, it really perpetuated that viewpoint. Like like my friend's sister, this was like an antisocial girl. She had always had an empty fridge. She was much too skinny because, you know, there's like literally nothing you can eat, apparently, when you don't consume animal products. People don't see me. I'm not skinny. Um, and like her mental health in the, the girl in the book was cons- constantly being questioned like my friend's sister. So it I'm took me to... Yes. And it took meeting like a vegan, you know, like here and there, it became more popular. Um, So it it took me meeting real actual people who were nice and pleasant to what friends and and who weren't breaking any laws, you know, in their animal activism before I decided, okay, so I can make this switch from vegetarianism to veganism. Mm. Because you had that representation now in front of you. Yes, I got the proof that this is there's more to this than these two stories that I know. Yeah. 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 So funny, actually, to come back to this whole cult, right? Yeah. I often get the feeling that other people see veganism as a cult, right? Like, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely, when I was like a teenager and stuff, heard people refer to vegans as like, you know, those tree hugger crazy people. Yes. Um, so... Actually, before I became a vegan myself, most of the vegans that I met were like squatters and anarchists. And I I know exactly how my family viewed like those people, right? Mm -hmm. And they really wasn't something that I wanted to be associated with. And even now I often hear, oh, but you're so nice for a vegan. But you are nice. (laughs) For a vegan? (laughs) I, I, I won't say it. I won't say it. I can't even as a joke. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so not seeing something can create a void, but also seeing something that is highly negative or highly stereotypical. That's yeah. another problem. Like if you had had other vegan option stories, that first story that you read where the, the girl broke the law and got in trouble for it would have been just one representation of the options of being vegan. And you could have been like, well, I'm going to be a vegan, but maybe I shouldn't break the law. But because, yeah, because, it because was, that bit doesn't resonate with me. But hey, there's other options out there. Yeah. Yeah. But because there weren't, that was it. Uh, but but that's the idea. It's not just about present. It's often what we we hear, right? Like like um, my my simplest simplest uh, uh, example is this. People say, "What do you mean? Like there's not enough uh, Muslim voices, or like we don't see enough Muslims, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're everywhere. Yes, they're everywhere. 
do you see how they are represented? Right? Mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody sees Muslims as terrorists, right? Yeah. Um, not everybody. Uh, but that is the general gist when you turn on the TV. Um, this is a general gist you get. So some people say, what do you mean? There's plenty of women in books. Yes, but if they all want to have babies and get married and they cannot actually uh, function until a meal comes into their life to sort of like move the story along, very painful. So it's not just about being present because some some identity markers are definitely present, but it's also about the how of their present, like the quality, like, like I said. If all the yeah. black guys that we come across are criminals, if all the black women are like loud and hysterical and dominant and all the gay guys are like flamboyant, the lesbians are like super butchy, all the bisexuals are like very confused people. <laughs> <laughs> and all Muslims, right, are more than willing to blow up everyone who doesn't believe in Islam, you know, just throwing a handful of stereotypes out there. And if you're nothing like that, despite you know, being black or gay or Muslim uh, or all of the above, those representations still don't represent you. Yeah, and you start walking away from yourself. Yes. And so I would actually say that depending on how persistent these stereotypes are, they might even disqualify your own lived experience in the eyes of those you meet along the way, right? Because you aren't black enough, you're not gay enough, you're not Muslim enough, not woman enough, and so on. Yeah, exactly. I went for a walk recently with my husband and I asked him about being black enough as a kid growing up for him. Um, that's That's been a thing. It's something we've talked about before a lot, actually, and there's so much diversity in the Black community. This is an international podcast, so there's the community of people of African descent throughout the world, but in, in the U.S., the even just the African-American community, we're not even talking about immigrant Black communities. Um, I shouldn't even say Black immigrant communities because they would be, you know, Ghana immigrant communities or Nigerian immigrant communities, etc., Um, But there's still limited representation of what black, quote unquote, black people in the U.S. are. Um, Even less back 30 years ago when he and I were kids. And the representation about that he had around him of black didn't really jive with how he saw himself as a kid, which led to a lot of a lot of tension, especially as he grew more self-reflective in his middle school and teen years. Um, He wasn't, quote, hood if you understand that term, like that urban inner city kind of black uh, that you see on TV a lot. He he wasn't country black, which is something he had to teach me what was like in the, the hills of Tennessee, you have country black, which is different. And he likes speaking in a highly educated, clear pronunciation manner, which um, he didn't realize until recently is because he had speech therapy as a kid. So he learned to speak properly, which made him not sound like everyone around him. Um, he doesn't curse very much. He wasn't into hip hop. He loved superheroes, um, but there weren't any superheroes that looked like him. So it, it led to this tension, this looking around for something that wasn't there. Yeah, so like we already talked about Black Panther, right? Yes, and I went and saw that with him. It was amazing. yeah. yeah. So I get that you don't love, like, you love superheroes, but. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, Batman was his, Batman and Spider-Man were his superheroes. Like, when I met him, he had this huge, like, 
Spider-Man doll that sat on his bed even in college. Um, but like, it's it's so far we we've, we've talked to. Well, going back to Black Panther, it's the only movie we ever bought the movie poster of and put up in our house. Was Black Panther? <laughs> they, uh, yeah, yeah. But, but he didn't says, have that says so much, right? Yeah, he didn't have a Black Panther growing up, so he he grew up admiring and being very into like Japanese anime and Spider Man, especially. He got really excited. Spider Man into the multiverse. He went and saw it. I wish I could have gone and seen it, but um i get triggered by the flashing lights and that movie had a seizure warning on it so i couldn't go see it with him he saw it and he came back he's like yeah i'm glad i didn't take you and i'm like you're gonna have to tell me about it (laughs) because there's a black spider-man in there um he was thrilled he's seen it more than once um but it, it didn't help him relate to his community his particular black community um because he just he he wasn't represented around him um Mm -hmm. there are other black people around him please don't think that i'm saying that there aren't um but they weren't necessarily being represented on tv or the books he was reading or directly near him um it it was specifically his tastes in media that was setting him apart in many ways uh and as he learned japanese and chose alternative music etc this compounded um i've seen him when we go back to his hometown the tension when he doesn't code black enough to this particular community he's black there's there's nothing different he has no desire to not be black um but it's like a language he doesn't speak for this particular community which is compounded in the u.s in black media etc yeah, it kind of reminds me, first of all, it sounds really exhausting, right? But it also reminds me um, of being told again and again, like, that's not ladylike, girls don't do that, right? Yeah. It's like you are showing behavior that doesn't fit within how we want you to be. That's actually a correlation he's made, interestingly okay. enough. Okay. Yeah, it's in certain ways. I won't go whole, all the way down that rabbit hole because that's not the point of this particular episode, but yeah. um, you and him could talk for hours. So <laughs> you should you should hear him rant about BET, the black entertainment television that he grew up with. I don't know how, what he thinks about BET now. We don't have television and get it piped in, but he could rant for hours about BET. He had to find his own definition of black and outside of that and and he got stereotyped because he'd have white teachers etc who just assumed that because he was black they could make a reference to BET and he'd get it and he'd be like I don't watch it I don't like it and they'd look at him like he had a second head or something yeah yeah so it does that lack of representation also like it it's not it affects how we see ourselves but it also affects how other people see us yes yes yeah which is why we need yeah. more than one representation because there's diversity and diversity, as we will say, until everyone is tired of hearing us say it on this podcast. Yes, <laughs> but it's true. Like we, we don't need just one voice from the black or the Asian or the gay community, right? We need so many voices from within all of these communities so that every lived experience can be, can just be without being questioned. Yeah. So do you, do you have any examples of this? 
perhaps? Well, when I'm thinking, I'm thinking about it's, it's not like girls don't do this. It's not ladylike, right? Um, I, I never really wanted to have children. And that's considered pretty unnatural by the majority of people. <laughs> Lots of these people are women. Uh, and I do see it's becoming more accepted these days. To like pe People start say, seeing that it's a choice, right? But there's still a little bit of a taboo around it. Um, so I, I often hear that like when you decide that you don't want to have kids, you're often uh, perceived as extremely selfish or as somebody who doesn't care about other um, like living beings. And I'm not saying that there are, there are definitely women who don't want to have kids because they don't like kids, right? Which is fine. Kids are not yes, for everyone. Is, yeah, which is super fine. But I'm like, when people say that to me, like mm -hmm. like like I'm like you're talking about me not caring about other living beings like do you know how, how much I do for cats <laughs> a vegan cat volunteer not caring about living beings it's a little ironic right but that's just and, and this is like I remember when I said the first time I said I didn't want to have kids it was a few weeks after I babysat my cousin he, he was like uh, four months old or so and mm -hmm. my uncle just my uncle was just like, okay, so you won't, uh, uh, you won't watch my kid anymore. Ouch. And I'm like, literally like one or two weeks before, like their kid stayed over at our place. Mm -hmm. Like, and I was just, so it, it's, it's just this switch. It's like, so, okay, so you're not fit to look after my kid because you don't want to have kids yourself. And I was like, what? Um, he needed so, yeah, to read so, a book where someone didn't want to have kids, but it was they were still good with kids. He just right? needed a little more representation there. He does. Yeah, he does. So the thing is, of course, once people realize that I have a functioning heart, right? I've, I've, it, it's, 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 uh, it, it's big. I just don't want to have kids. Um, I get comments like, but you would make a great mother. Uh, and there's nothing in me that would that that's denying that, right? Like, I probably would make a great mother, but... Uh, um, it's 2021. It's not 1921. So I actually have a choice. I would rather spend my time and money on saving cats because somebody has to do that. Um, but yeah, people people do wonder, uh, often out loud, <laughs> uh, what, what happened to me, right? Like, why am I not doing my natural duty as a woman? Like, what's wrong with me? Like, what trauma happened to me as a child? Like, why am I fighting the order of things? Like, why are you denying your biological clock? The, the the thing oh you're you will get there like so so patronizing <laughs> right like you'll get there like you're 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 uh, there's a dutch expression uh about your ovaries starting to tick i don't know if, if you have we call it the biological clock yeah so we specifically have your ovaries will start ticking right yeah yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I would love for childless by choice women to become better represented, right, uh, in all of their internal variety. So the women who don't like kids, um, the women who love kids, just don't want to be themselves, uh, don't want to have them themselves. Like I would love that. Yeah. This is why it's so important to not to not just look at our willingness to include characters that we don't often read about. We also have to look critically at how we include them. Like, I mean, we keep saying yeah. this, but it's so important. And that that's precisely what this podcast is about. It's how we do it. Yes, it's 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 yes, we need the quantity. We also need the quality. That is the 
that's the main point for me. And I think that's the perfect moment to wrap this up. Because we we have been rambling on. I agree. So on our next episode, uh, according to our notes, because they keep us on track, we will be discussing common fears around representing those who aren't like us. Yes. And I have seen so many questions around this. Yes. uh, And we're also going to discuss why being afraid doesn't mean you shouldn't give it a shot anyway. Yes, exactly. Die trying, right? Isn't that's that what you thing. always say? <laughs> yes, that's like, die trying. Yeah, die because trying. it's well, more important to have tried. Okay, well, no. don't die trying on me this week because we have to meet next week and record again. Yes, I'll, I'll do my best. Before it's time to check for commas and iron out passive voice, fiction writers need to know that their story is strong. Are your beta readers not finishing? Do they have multiple conflicting complaints? When you ask them questions about your story, do they give lukewarm responses? If yes, you may need to refine your story structure. In editing your novel structure, tips, tricks, and checklists to get you from start to finish, Bethany walks you through the process of assessing your novel, from characters to pacing with lots of compassion and a generous dash of humor. In easy to follow directions and using adaptable strategies, This handbook shows you how to check your story for plot holes, settle timeline confusion, snap character arcs into place, and more. Find it on Amazon, Kobo, or Barnes & Noble, or follow the link in the show notes to get yourself a copy now. Thank you for listening. Music for this show was written and produced by Eric Mills. If you want to join the conversation, fill out our writer and reader questionnaires. Both can be found in the show notes and on our website, representationmatters.art. That's dot A-R-T. If you want to be the first to hear when a new episode comes out, sign up to our newsletter. And if you found this helpful, please rate and review on your favorite podcast app to help other writers find us too.